So on Friday we met, and um, I'm just going to talk about atonement before we come and uh, really get involved with it in communion. I get to say this every year because I think it's really important that every year we remember atonement and uh, what it means for Christians. Uh, it's known around the world as Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. It's really for people who know that they've got sin, like me. If you do know that, this one's a belter if you know you've got sin. Um, I read about a church recently that started somewhere. They have millions of pounds backing them as they start. I thought, well, we haven't got that. Uh, they got a smoke machine and a Christian pop group. I thought, well, we haven't got that. They got a staff of 30 um, that they start with. I thought, well, we haven't got that. Now hundreds of people are going. So I thought, well, what have we got? And then I started preparing a sermon on the Day of Atonement. And I'll tell you what we can offer here at Park End. A Savior who gets involved in the grit of life and turns it around. We've got an old rugged cross to offer the world. I haven't got a smoke machine. I've got the old rugged cross to talk about and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Leviticus 23 talks about atonement, and Leviticus chapter 16 talks about atonement in great detail. So that's your homework to read over your dinner this afternoon. Um, uh, and for those who thought, oh no, I'll leave that. No, we'll, I'll talk about that later. Um, this was a massive occasion for our church fathers. The Day of Atonement, 10th day of the month of Tishri, which is roughly around this time, so we're not too far off remembering it in Park End. And it was like a holy day, you didn't eat any food, and you took sin very seriously at this occasion. You would fast and just think about what the Lord has done for our sin. And on Friday, the chap who was speaking at the, our meal said, it's like a spring cleaning. And you think about Jesus and how he spring cleans everything with his blood. And we learned a bit about that. My friend said on Friday, um, imagine you touched, when you touched anything, it left a greasy mark. Or when you spoke words which were nasty, they left like a greasy stain just over the, in the direction that you spoke. It's quite a graphic picture. And he's like, that's how the Bible speaks about sin. It needs to be cleansed. It's like pollution. It just gets everywhere. I had an interesting thought this week. It might not be right, but I thought... When we speak, like it's out there forever, like it reverberates through the air and through your brains and enters the ether, and we'll just sort of, there's never going to be a universe where the words that I've just said, like don't exist. Isn't that interesting? Is that interesting? Sort of a semi-nod, semi-nod, and it's almost like you can't take it back because it's gone, it's done, it's reverberating, and I've said it, and... And, it, and the problem is, though, so much of what we say and do is also mixed with mistakes and sin and bad intentions, and that's out there as well. So it's quite like eternal consequences. And if there really is a stain to the things that we say and think and do, and it's out there forever, the big question this morning is, who can clean that up if this problem of sin gets everywhere? Like... Who can fix things from my bad back to my bad words to the bad weather to things going wrong? Who fixes stuff? Really, who's got the power? And Moses was like, well, day of atonement. 
has the answer. See, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm not uh, here to offend you deliberately, but the Bible does this for me. The world, the Bible says we are broken, not working as we should because of sin. The Bible says the world is broken because of this problem called sin, which is infecting everything. And if you take an apple off a tree, it will die. And the sin has disconnected us from God. He's like a tree of life. And so we die and wither. And we treat each other terribly like, like children of death sometimes the human race can be along the way. Now, the world and the cosmos is brilliant, but it's broken. We are to look after each other and things, but it is broken. And we can only do so much. The cosmos... The universe is broken, but it is glorious. Here are some interesting facts about the universe that I jotted down for you to be gripped by this morning. To appreciate the glory of the universe, did you know that most galaxies are between 1,000 and 10,000 parsecs in diameter? Did you know that? No. Well, now you do. Now, but you're also asking, what's a parsec? Good question. Well, a parsec is an astronomical unit of length. And one parsec is equivalent to 31 trillion kilometers. That's 19 trillion miles. So here we are again. Most galaxies between 1,000 parsecs and 10,000 parsecs in diameter. And you've done the maths, and now you know how many parsecs and how wide the universe is, don't you? Sort of. It's big. It's glorious. And the, more, the bigger the telescope we build, the more in awe we are of the God who made it. Um, it is glorious, but it's broken. And so through your telescope, you can also things, see things like acting chaotically, smashing into each other, sometimes even firing down into earth and killing some people. So glorious, but also not quite working properly. A bit broken. And it's like, how much is Jesus going to save? How far is his salvation going to go? The weather is wonderful, isn't it? British weather, wonderful. Here's some information about the weather. It's glorious. The sun is the most important source of energy of the whole earth. It generates weather patterns and provides energy for plants to grow so we can have oxygen and eat food at lunch today. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that you can tell the temperature of the weather by counting a cricket's chirps? Did you, have you ever done that? Glorious thing to do. It is Rain is glorious, isn't it? Uh, you need the rain to water your gardens, hydrate animals and ourselves, refill rivers, but the weather is also broken. So if you turn on BBC News, you might well read about a hurricane or a sandstorm which can just sweep things away in a second. Mudslides. Heat waves can bend train tracks, and they do. There are 2,000 thunderstorms every minute on planet Earth. It's glorious, but it's also chaotic. Here's another thing that we're to appreciate in this world of ours. Animals! Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that a snail can sleep for up to three years at a time? Isn't that glorious? 
Who wants to be a snail? We're like, yeah, I could do with that. Uh, did you know that there are one million ants for every human in the world? Wait, is that glorious? Did you know that a dog's sense of smell is about 100,000 times stronger than yours? Did you know that there was once a penguin that was six foot six? That's the size of LeBron James, the basketball player. He's dead now, the, uh, the, the penguin. It was, um, it was a long time ago. But I think that's glorious, a six foot six penguin. I give thanks to the Lord for that. But it's also broken, and nature and the animal kingdom is also red in tooth and claw, or fang and paw, if you've got cats. Red. Horror stories happen in the animal kingdom. In fact, only recently a dog uh, bit a child in um, Rita Penai school on the, on the park over there. Because things go wrong. How far does Jesus save and make all things better? Romans 8 says, creation is glorious, but is also decaying. And we took a tree down in my garden not long ago because it had ash dieback, infected, broken, not working as it should be. How far is Jesus going to save trees? And the last chunk of appreciating the cosmos is human beings. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that we are glorious and sacred and lives should be honored and protected from the weakest to the strongest? And we can build universities and teach in them. You can design gardens and tend to them. We can build cities and populate them. We can found factories and equip them. We can cultivate farms and we can build cathedrals and ships can sail across the world and books can be written music can be composed and art and can be displayed and dancing can happen by some of us not all of us engineering projects are glorious and dreams are accomplished through science and then you turn on the news and we also know that we're broken or you go into your staff room at work or you spend more than an hour with someone when you're hungry, or you're in a traffic jam, or you think no one's looking, or no one really hears you, and you soon learn that we are broken. We can shoot people with weapons and with words. We can bicker, steal, lust, and lie, and rage in traffic jams, and swear at our pets and our children. And in the 20th century alone, as we moved away from church, there was more war and murder than in all the other centuries that have existed before it in that 20th century alone. Who can save everything? How far does the work and the blood of Jesus fix things? And so for the remaining part, I'm going to explain what happened at atonement, and that question will be answered. Once a year, the church gathered together in the Old Testament. And there was a priest. Leviticus 16 says, Aaron, the priest, the high priest, will enter a tent. In the tent, there's a little department called the Most Holy Place. That's where God sits. Aaron's going to go in. And he's going to bring an animal, a dead animal. He's going to be covered in blood. The high priest would dress up as Jesus 
Though Jesus hadn't been born yet, he's God, so he was very much at work. And Aaron got to dress up as him and act out what he's like before Jesus would come and do it for himself not too long later. It's like when you put on your Spider-Man costume and you leap around the house at home when you get back from church. You get his powers. That's what Aaron did. He was acting out the powers of Jesus. And he would walk as a priest with all of our issues on his heart. It was actually written on his chest. And we'd tell him all of our problems and our sins and our worries and the weather problems and the animal problems and everything. And then he would walk into a tent carrying it all like a priest does. When you go home, read John chapter 17. Jesus prays as the high priest and you're in it. So have a little read at his high priestly prayer. You're on his heart. And he would walk past all the church members who would watch him into the tent and he'd walk west, not east. That's important, because in the Bible, West is best. In the Feast of Atonement, West is best. Leave Newport, go to Pembrokeshire. West is best. Why did he walk West, and why was the tent facing from East to West? Because when sin came in the world in Genesis 3, they got kicked out of where God lived, East. And so when anything good happens in the Old Testament, they go west. And it's like a picture of we're going back to where God is. This is going to be good. So the priest was walking west. And easty behavior is a big problem. Any behavior away from God is bad. And that needs to be fixed. I read this week, some people can't find God in the same way criminals can't find a policeman. Some people can't find God in the same way a criminal can't find a policeman. He would just get in their way because they love living far away from him. We don't want you in our lives. That's a big problem. That's our problem. We love living in the east. And yet, he went west for us. For us, because we can't do it. We're not allowed to do this bit. And he would walk through the tent. And the tent was a picture of the universe that we talked about earlier. All of those parsecs. In Isaiah 40:22, it says, God stretches out the heavens like a tent. He spreads them out like a tent to live in. In Psalm 104, it says, the Lord wraps himself like with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. So they're all thinking, the priest is now walking through the tent, which is a picture of the universe. And we're on his heart. And he's dressed up as the coming Messiah, Jesus and he's walking and he's walking and then he gets to the very throne of heaven itself. A picture of where God sat. And it's like he walked through the universe right into the center of heaven. And the priest stood before God with us on his chest, covered in blood. And then he did something interesting as we draw near now to the communion table. Leviticus 16.15 says, The priest shall slaughter a goat for the sin offering for the people. And he'll put the blood behind the curtain and cover the area with it. So we get some blood of an animal and he just starts wiping things down with it. Wiping the very center of heaven. And outwards, all of the tents and the stars. And then a bit of himself and the church members on his heart. All got covered in this blood. Not Dettel, not Mr. Sheen, blood cleansed everything. All of the pictures of the universe, 
all of the people, all of the animals, all of the issues got cleansed by this blood. Because it's more powerful than anything else. Nothing else will truly cleanse the world of decay and sin. Everything got touched. And it's like it came alive when it touched the blood of this animal. Wayward stars, fixed. Wayward trees, fixed. Wayward people, fixed. When they came into contact with this sacrificial animal brought by the priest. And then he came out. He came out and everybody was happy because everything had been cleansed and there was another animal and he prayed. He said, these are for the sins of all the people as well. And he put it on the animal and the animal ran off into the wilderness. So not only are the people's sins cleansed, they're also sent far away and never remembered again. And I keep meeting people who are so guilty and bogged down by their past and the things they've done. And they say, can anyone help and heal and take away this pain? And the answer is yes. The great high priest, A, cleansed the blood, cleansed the sins with the blood, and B, sent it far away, never to be remembered again. Come ye sinners, with all that you have ever done wrong, lay them on the Lamb who was slain for sinners. And this day we will leave this church utterly cleansed. The saving work of Jesus has begun on Calvary. He would later come and act all that out for himself. His blood cleanses the foulest sinner clean. There is no sin outside of the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, we cling on to him because he's soon going to fix everything else as well and make it new again. On Calvary, as we come to communion, Jesus dealt a death blow to sin, death, and decay. So let no one here say, what do I do? I've got no hope. You don't have to punish yourself anymore. Christ was punished for us. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There was a politician, and he, he was a Christian. And someone tried to bribe him. And he said, I'm not taking that bribe because I have been bought once before with the blood of Christ. Can you match that? There's nothing more valuable or life-changing than the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.